in connection with uh, the uh, teaching and preaching uh, on the first commandment of Allah, uh, speaks about God and who God is, and what it means for our lives. Uh, our scripture reading is from Revelation chapter 4, John's visions in the book of Revelation. And in chapter 4, uh, chapter 2 and 3, seven letters to the churches, and chapter 1, the introduction, and chapter 4, the real visions uh, start. And the first thing that John is seeing is uh, in his vision, the throne room of the glorious and holy and almighty God. So let's read Revelation 4. After these things, so after he was given the letters to the seven churches and the introduction, after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like a crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, and you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Thus far, the Word of God. So this afternoon, we, uh, we may begin with having a close look at God's outline for a holy life uh, by showing love to Him and to our neighbor. That's Jesus, how Jesus summarizes the law, right? So after a quick look at the introduction to the law, We'll focus on the first of the ten words. That's in Lord's Day 34 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So if you look in your book of praise on page 550 and 551 and 552. We're not going to read all that. Uh, question and answer 92 is the law of God. And we have read those this morning in the worship service, as we do every Sunday. 
So we're not going to read that again. And question 93 says, how are these commandments divided? And answer is into two parts. The first teaches us how to live in, in relation to God. And the second, what duties we owe our neighbor. And 94, what does the law require in the first commandment? And the first commandment, you will remember, I'll read that one. You shall have no other gods before me. So what does the Lord require there? That for the sake of my very salvation, I avoid and flee all idolatry, witchcraft, superstition, and prayer to saints or to other creatures. Further, that I rightly come to know the only true God, trust in Him alone, submit to Him with all humility and patience, accept all good from Him only, and love, fear, and honor Him with all my heart, in short, that I forsake all creatures rather than doing the least thing against his will. What is idolatry? Because that word is mentioned, right, in, uh, in the first part. Idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust instead of or in addition to the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. That's why this part of our uh, confession. As our song of response, we'll sing Psalm 66, the first two stanzas. Psalm 66, verse 1 and verse 2, we're singing a response to the preaching of the word. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in this, um, uh, this sermon on Lord's Day 34, I want to focus on the first commandment, a particular uh, question and answer. 94 95. But it is good to remember that the law of God does not begin with the first commandment. The law of God begins with an introduction. And, and that is too important to overlook. Here in the introduction, that is, the giver of the law presents himself to the people who are supposed to submit to the commandments he is going to give. Now the introductory words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, are indispensable to understand the commitments that God requires of his people. Here's the big idea. First the Lord gave his children freedom, right, from Egypt it is, and after that, he told them, your freedom is safeguarded, is protected when you follow my lead in your life. First, the blood of the Passover lamb was shed, and Israel was led to freedom, and then they were taught how to live as free people, guided by the word of God. You see, the Lord knew his people Israel. And he also knows us. He knows you and me. His people today. So he gave his ten commandments. Not just in general to everyone. But to people who first needed to be saved by grace alone. For only by, by God's grace. By saving grace. By God's love. 
would his people realize what true freedom is all about. At the same time, God also knows that as people, as saved people, we are still weak, we're vulnerable, we're sinful, we still need his guidance, we need his support. For God knows better than we realize how many temptations are out there. And how easily we get distracted by Satan's mind games and other manipulations. And therefore, within the gospel of love, we find again the law of God. The Lord says, I have made you a life. I give you life because I love you. And now, now live your life to the fullest in love. And this is how you do it. And you understand how each one of the commandments are closely connected with the introduction. Never separate them. However, this connection dominates in particular the first commandment. God's self-presentation in the introduction makes very clear that the first commandment is not just an an abstract demand, like uh, you shall believe in God, or you shall believe in one God, something like that. But I am the Lord. I am the Father of Jesus Christ, your Savior. And therefore, believe me, and trust yourself to me, love me, and the question answer, 94 or 95, your confession shows what the consequences are. The God of your salvation claims you for his own. That's the message. The God of your salvation claims you for his own. That has two sides. Uh, you have to know what you should avoid, and you have to know what you should do, how that impacts your life, right? The God of your salvation claims you for his own, know what to avoid, know what to do. So yes, as I just mentioned, the manner in which the Lord introduces himself and he gives the law makes especially the first commandment very personal and direct. Yeah? This is not a theoretical or a mental exercise about the existence of God. It goes way beyond that. You and I know who God is. And we also know how God is. Well, not for 100%, but we know quite a bit about that. And it's not because we are so smart, not because we figure them out. We cannot figure God out. Of course not. We would never be able to do that. It's only because He has made Himself known to us as the Lord, the Holy One, Faithful and reliable in his words, his promises. We know him from the Bible as the God of salvation. The God of liberation out of grace. Because he is the God who entered with us in a relationship. The covenant relationship of love. The Bible tells us what he has done for his people Israel. Think of Egypt. You've seen the story of Joseph, but what comes after that? Think of, think of the Red Sea. Think of 
the ten plagues in Egypt, and after that came the Red Sea. Think of all the events in the wilderness. Think of the promised land. Think of the judges, the kings, and the prophets throughout the Old Testament. Now today, He is also for us the God of liberation, freedom out of grace, the God of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ, the God of love and mercy. Think of Golgotha. Think of the cross. Think of the garden of Joseph of Arimathea on Easter morning. Think of the victory over sin and death. And when you come to think of all those things, the first commandment becomes self-evident. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, you may be inclined to say, yeah, of course not. That's obvious. I mean, how in the world could you be so stupid that you would prefer to serve and worship other gods? Doesn't make sense. And yet, that's what happens all the time. All the time. You'll find it throughout the Bible, and it's not less in our day and age. People worship and trust in other gods. Now, today, many people may not talk about gods, but the principle is the same. The Lord says, here am I. This is what I did. This is who I am. This is what I do in my love. This is how I want to be your God. Isn't that great? Isn't it wonderful? And then he expects you to trust him and to love him because of who he is. And as I said, if you come to think of that, it's a logical expectation. It makes much sense. And then you will also understand that the Lord reacts with amazement. You find it throughout the Old Testament. But amazement when his people do the opposite. When they prefer other gods in his place. For instance, Jeremiah 2, verse 10 to 11. Cross to the coast of Cyprus, the Lord says, and have a look. Send to Kedar and examine with care. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Even though they are not even gods. But my people... My people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens. Be shocked. When you, when you read these words, you can hear the surprise. This is incredible. This is incredible. And, and these are not even gods. These are not even gods. That, that last word confronts us with the question, how real are other gods? Do they exist? Well, you may be inclined to say, no, of course not. But in light of what the Bible tells us, we have to say, do other gods exist? We have to say, no, and yes. Now, that may sound confusing, of course, but that's the situation. The people of Israel were living as God's people among other peoples. And all these nations had their own gods. Because the idea was, the idea was that that the land of each nation was also the territory of the God of the people who were living there. And, And if there was war between those nations, 
the God of the winning party was obviously stronger than the God of the other guys. Yeah? So this is how also other nations, the Philistines, the Assyrians, were looking at the God of Israel. Yahweh, the God of Israel, was powerful in Israel, but he had nothing to say elsewhere. But the Lord is different. He's absolutely unique. His territory is not limited to Israel. How do we know? Now think of the story in 1 Samuel 4 and 5. Uh, some of you may remember that. The Philistines were capturing the Ark of God. They at war with Israel, and they captured the Ark of God. And when it happened, the Philistines were elated. Here was the proof that their God, and, and the name was Dagon, that their God, Dagon, was stronger than the God of Israel. And then they set up the ark of the God of Israel beside Dagon, in the temple of Dagon. And then the Lord shows his power. Even outside of Israel, what happens? He kicks Dagon from his pedestal and chops his head off. That's what the priests of Dagon find the next day. So for Israel, worshiping the Lord was not just a national issue. In the Psalms, they praise the Lord as the great king of all the gods, Psalm 95. To be feared above all gods, Psalm 96. Exalted above all gods, Psalm 97. That's impressive. However, it does not answer the question, do they now actually exist or not? These other gods. Do they have real power? Well, they do exist. In the sense that in this world, we are surrounded by things or ideas that can wield power over people. Things or ideas that people trust in to provide comfort, to give them hope. And the Lord realizes that. Now, of course, you can say these so-called other gods are not real. They're just man-made. But that does not make the first commandment useless or superfluous. On the contrary, warnings are still in place. The point is, whatever it is we are talking about can so totally claim you, can take up all your time and all your energy that serving and worshiping the true God is sort of edged out of your life, may even disappear from your life. That's an example. From the Old Testament, we know Baal as the Canaanite god of rain and fertility. Now, you can say Baal does not exist. So, who cares? Well, that's true. And yet, in the Bible, the Lord turns out to be really concerned about Baal's power and Baal's influence among the people. When, when rain falls after a time of drought... Or, or when spring comes after a harsh winter, the earth shows incredible resilience, incredible fertility. I mean, you, you have that same feeling, right? When spring comes and after the snow is melting and all the trees look kind of deadish, and there are new leaves coming. There are new grasses coming in your lawn. New plants are growing. 
a sign of life. And that is evidence of a strong power. But here's the problem. When people are turning their back and moving away from the Creator, how are you going to look at that power? They're going to honor and trust this power that has been created. And then it really does not make much difference whether you call it Baal, as they did a number of thousand years ago, or you call it Mother Earth, as they say today. Sure, today many of the ancient idols are all gone. There are not too many Baal worshippers around anymore, to the best of my knowledge. But a man without God, and that's the principle here, a man without God will always look and seek for things or ideas to guide him and to direct his life. You've got you, 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 you to look for something to turn to that will provide peace and comfort and hope in your life. You, you're looking for something that will give sense to your life. We live in a broken world, and it's a scary world for a lot of people. And in here, no one can do without powers to rely on. I mean, someone or something must be in control somewhere. So many people feel that they need something spiritual to, to master their fear, to overcome their uncertainty. Yeah? Something spiritual. Others turn to political or social or environmental ideologies. That will give them hope for a better future for themselves, for their kids, for the world. But you know, there are many other things as well that can give you the feeling that your life makes sense, that you know what you're living for. As a matter of fact, you can practice idolatry, to use that word, with almost anything you want. You can rely on your health to make you successful. You can rely on your beauty to make you feel good about yourself. You can rely on your money to protect you. You can rely on sports and entertainment to make you happy. You can rely on science and technology. You can rely on the government to give you security. You can also idolize ideas. Whether modern ideas or traditional ideas, it doesn't really matter, to make you feel comfortable. You can engage in political activism, social activism, religious activism, to give you a purpose in your life. Now, are all these things wrong or bad? Not necessarily. We talk mostly about normal, everyday things, things we come across, things we can enjoy in our daily life, and as such, that's usually okay. The problem is that it can fill your heart, it can fill your mind to the point to captivate all your thinking. That's all you can think about. And, and they take up all your time. They consume you. Give you a purpose to live and, and fill you with hope for the future instead of the one true God. 
Are there things in your life that have taken the shape of such an idol? An other God? Think of it. Think of it. What occupies your mind and your time and your energy to the point that you cannot let it go? That you could not live without it? That it would be dreadful to even think of losing it? That you won't give up because it, without it your life would become meaningless? This is exactly what your confession means when in answer 95 it talks about idolatry as having or inventing something, whatever it is, to put your trust in, instead of God or in addition to God. And again, that something can be anything. But the Lord who saved you, my brother, my sister, the Lord who saved you, the Lord who loves you, He claims you. And therefore, know what to avoid. Stay away from everything that claims your trust. From everything that, that claims authority over your life, contrary to the Word of God. Because the Word, that's where the only true God has revealed Himself. May you strive for a good and pleasant and useful life? Of course you may. But don't strive for a good and pleasant and useful life without the Holy God in the center. Without being grounded in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Without being driven by the Holy Spirit. If you would do that, if you would remove the grace of God, God's salvation from your life, you can only rely on yourself, your own possibilities, your own will, or other powers. In answer 94, your confession lists a few examples. Idolatry, witchcraft, superstition, prayer to saints, or other creatures. Now, the list is a bit dated in the sense that it refers to the time, especially when the catechism was written. And the role of some of those may have changed a bit when culture changes. Although it is striking that the Bible does not deny the reality of things like witchcraft or occult powers. But the warning remains. Avoid everything that makes you give up your trust in the Lord alone. Avoid everything that claims to provide security in your life so that your security is no longer with Him. Of course, in all kinds of situations in your life, you seek help from others, right? When you're sick, you go to the doctor. You consult a specialist. You ask advice of a lawyer if you need to, or a mechanic. Other people who have professional skills that you don't have. That's okay, of course. It has nothing to do with idolatry. As long as it does not lead you away from putting your trust in God. If that happens, if you ignore the claim of the God of salvation in your life, or if you show by how you act that you don't care about his claim, then you actually reject God and his salvation. What do you think, what do you think the effect is going to be if you would say goodbye to the one true God and reject his claim on your life? 
But you see, you get more freedom. That's what we think sometimes, right? And the world wants you to believe that. This God was claiming this and this and this. Get rid of it. Be free from it. Doesn't that sound great? To have the freedom to do whatever you want to do without being bothered by God's word and commandments? Here's the mistake. Throwing away the freedom God has given you does not lead to more freedom. It will lead to less freedom. If you give up your freedom from sin, guess what's going to happen? You're back where you came from. Slavery to sin. Being controlled by other gods. And the result, you will not be able to escape that slavery. And your life will eventually fall apart. Full of fear and uncertainty. Everything you, know, you, 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 you rely on and everyone you rely on and trust in to give you hope will eventually fail you. And the end will be death with no hope for the future. That's why your confession right in the beginning of answer 94 says, before anything else, this is at stake here. Keep the first commandment that says, for the sake of your very salvation. That's the issue. No other gods before me, says the Lord. Otherwise, your salvation is at stake. No eternal life. This is how serious God is when he claims you for himself. He does not want to share you with any other power because he gave his son to save you. You belong to him alone. He has saved you by sacrificing his own son as a payment for all your sins. And now he does not want to see other powers trying to rule your life. He refuses to accept that you would like to try trusting in some other options sometimes. Some alternatives for his claim. Forget it, the first commandment says. Avoid all of those. There's only one who is worth your trust. There is the Lord, the God of your salvation, the Father of Jesus Christ. Let's go back for a minute to the introduction of the law. Closely connected with what God requires in the first commandment. We said it, right? Here's the message. Repeat it. I am your God. I'm the God of your salvation out of slavery. Slavery of sin. I am the God of your salvation by grace. The God of your freedom in Jesus. And therefore you are mine. In my love, I claim you for myself. Because you bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, you were ransomed from the power of sin. Believe in me now. Worship me. Trust in me. Love me and live for me all the time. That's what you're here for. How do you do that? How do, you, how do you let this reality, this amazing reality, determine your whole life? That's summarized in the second part of answer 94. The part that starts with further. So here your confession moves away from what you should avoid, but it makes clear how rich you are with what you have and how multicolored 
that should unfold in your life. Now, the catechism is quite interesting. The catechism uses a, an abundant variety of words to describe that. And as you notice, those are all verbs. You know what to do when God claims you. And it's a whole program that unfolds here. Know, trust, submit, expect, love, fear, honor. And those are not things you just do in a superficial way. No, no. Expressions like the only true God alone are added to qualify. All humility and patience with all my heart. That makes very clear. Keeping the first commandment keeps you on your toes. It's important to remember why. I always get back to that. Never forget that in all this, the Holy God Himself is in the center. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. Everything is focused on Him. And all the things we do, the goal is to serve Him and to praise Him and to trust Him and to love Him alone. Uh, you'll have to know then, of course, who He is. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. The only true God. What is it that he promises? What is it that he has done? What he's still doing today? You will need to know that. I mean, how can you love someone you know nothing about? People can have all kinds of ideas about knowing God. But for everyone, there's only one reliable source of knowing God. That's the Bible. There's no other way. On every page of the Bible, you will meet the holy and almighty God. We meet Him in His wisdom. We meet Him in His justice, in His power, His majesty, His glory, His compassion, His goodness, His righteousness, His providential care, and many, many other ways. But we get to know God especially in His love in Jesus Christ. According to Psalm 103, verse 13, the Lord is as a father who has compassion for his children. And in Isaiah 66, verse 13, God is pictured as a comforting mother. Isaiah 63, verse 15, asks God to show his zeal and compassion from heaven, from his holy throne, his beautiful throne, that's the throne we read about in Revelation 4, where the Apostle John saw his glory and majesty in that vision. And that is why he alone is worthy of all glory, all the love, all the trust, all the thankfulness, all the praise in your life. And the most wonderful demonstration of that love is in his Son, in the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ for our salvation. The forgiveness of all our sins. If you have seen Jesus Christ. You have seen the depth of the love of your father's heart. And if we love him. We do nothing but reflecting his love for us. That implies that you can summarize all these things that are listed in answer 94. As love the Lord your God. With all your heart, your soul, and your mind. My brother, my sister, this is what the first commandment is all about. Love the Lord your God.
if this deep love, because of all the things you learn about God when you get to know Him more and deeper, if this deep love for Him fills your heart and mind, it will prevent you from serving and worshipping other gods. And you will recognize the other gods. Indeed, love Him alone. Because He loves you with His eternal love in Jesus Christ. So look at Jesus and recognize how strongly God has committed Himself to us so that we can commit ourselves to Him. If you put it this way, you may indeed begin to wonder how in the world is it possible that people who have seen God and who know God's amazing grace and love in Jesus Christ can still be impressed by other powers and that they even choose to follow and trust those other powers. However, we can speak highly about it, and rightly so, but it's not always so easy to follow the Lord and trust Him alone with all your heart. Follow the Lord. Trust Him alone with all your heart. It's not so easy, is it? We have our sin to deal with. So we struggle with our doubts, our hesitations. We experience pain and suffering and distress. Where's God when you need Him? Oh yeah, we know we are to accept these things from God's fatherly hands. We can have a hard time with that. It's not without reason that Answer 94 speaks about submitting to God with all humility and patience. You know, we need a lot of that. Humility and patience. We need an awful lot of that. Humility and patience. And the problems you struggle with, you can have the feeling sometimes that other powers are more effective to help you better equipped to help you than God is. At least, that's what they promise. And so perhaps, perhaps it is more beneficial to trust in your money or it is more beneficial to trust in your own cleverness than in God. Looks like it sometimes. But then we better go back to the beginning, to the question, who is the one who claims you for himself? Remember, he is the father of Jesus. And in Jesus, he is your father. It is in your Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is in his work of reconciliation where you get to know the Lord in his grace, in his love. And it is in Jesus that God has proven himself to be the God of your salvation. Always think about him and talk about him in that way. Always praise him and honor him in that way. Then the doors of your life will be open for all that you need. For he who did not spare his own son, that's from the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Romans, chapter 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not also give us all things with him? That's why in the first commandment, the Lord claims your love. All the love of your whole heart. All the love in your whole life. It leaves no room for other gods. Do not divide your love between the God of the Bible and other powers. 
Like you love the only true God with your words, but you love the other ones with your actions in the rest of the week. Or you love the Lord on Sundays, you love the other ones at other occasions. Now God asks you, get rid of your selfishness, get rid of your self-sufficiency, turn your back on the powers that claim to make you happy and successful, even if you ignore the will of God in your life. You know, this world is full of people. Full of people. And things. And ideas. May you name it. And they all want you to love them. They all want you to spend time with them. They all want to ask your attention. Is that wrong? Not necessarily. Spend time with the people you love. Your family, your friends, your fellow believers. That's good. When God gives you the opportunity to spend time doing things you like and enjoy and appreciate, it's not the point. But what if the things you'd like to do and you'd like to enjoy, what if they have a negative impact on your love for God? Then we must make a choice. We all know that. But when are you going to make that choice? Today? Or after you make public profession of faith? Or when you're 40? You're dealing with your midlife crisis? Or after your retirement? When are you going to make that choice? Or how far does our willingness go to give up everything? That's what I'm saying. Listen, everything. How far does our willingness go to give up everything for the Lord? How far does our willingness go to go against the flow of what everything else thinks and says and does in our society, rather than doing the least thing against the will of God. Is that reasonable? Is that not too much? But again, He is the God of your salvation. Remember your Savior. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember His love and faithfulness in His death on the cross. What more evidence do I need to know who should determine everything I do? Actually, answer 94, when you read it well, is like a song of praise. Have you notice that? It's like a song of praise. A song of thankfulness. Because it's, it, it sings about everything your God and Father is entitled to in your life because of His love and grace, because of His wonderful mercy. So we need to learn to sing this song of glory, this everlasting song of glory for God. We need to learn to join the heavenly powers as the Apostle John saw them, and when he heard them in Revelation 4, united in this wonderful song of praise and glory for him who sits on the throne. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Amen.